Uh, hi. My name is Josh, and I am new to Clear Creek. Will you be my friends? Uh, it's good to meet you. I'm Josh Diggs. My wife, Lindsay, is right over here. My son, Stephen, who I had the privilege of uh, baptizing a week or so before we came here. So not only is he my son, he's my brother, and so it's cool to get a worship together with him. And my daughter, Emma, four years old, is uh, in We Worship, I'm sure, increasing the um, <clears throat> adrenaline. Is that the right? In that room? I'm not sure what chemical may be expressed, but something is going on back there, I'm sure. But we are just so grateful to be at this point in our journey. It's good to see Haley and Kaya. Kaya, did I get it? Okay. So I'm trying to get names here. Forgive me if I have to ask more than once. I'll do my best. But again, thank you for letting us be a part of your family. Now, I don't want to embarrass anyone too much. But uh, we have some friends from Nashville who have made their way this uh, direction this morning to just encourage. I, again, won't, won't ask you to stand, raise your hand, anything, but I love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's so good to know that the church of Jesus Christ is bigger than just one place. Amen? In fact, right now, I just want you to sort of pause and I want you to consider this incredible moment. That long before you and I ever got up, around the globe, Christ followers were waking up, and they were gathering under trees in fields, under rock clefts, in homes, in churches, and they began celebrating Jesus Christ. And they simply continued what has been going on since time began, as we read in the book of Revelation, where those gathered around the throne of Jesus Christ, around God the Father, all of creation is right now saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you and I are now getting caught up in what is going on right now throughout creation. Isn't that incredible? And so I just want to tell you what a gift it is that we can gather together and celebrate Jesus. And by the way, I just want to thank Paul and team for leading us in worship this morning. Can we just thank them for all the hard work? And yeah, I mean, this is a great time to do that and appreciate all the, the work you put into this and, uh, you know, I appreciate um, David's comments this morning for our communion thought, and, and I really appreciated that he explained that uh, matching sweatpants and sweatshirts are out. That makes me rethink next Sunday's attire, and um, so really, it's been a great morning so far. Here's what I want to do, though. I want to start with something of a question here. How many of you know what this is? Go ahead and yell it out. What is this thing? Newspaper. Some of you are going, wait a minute, what is that papery thing? I, it looks familiar, but you're like used to seeing it only on your phone or on your device. Yes, this is a newspaper. Every morning around the country, people get up and they have these newspapers. Now maybe, uh, you know, it's, it's delivered. Maybe someone throws it out in front of their yard. Maybe they pick it up at the local Starbucks when they're getting their, you know, local cup of coffee for $89.43. You're know, like, you know, Johnny, I love you, but you can't go to college because I love coffee more than I love you. You know, whatever it may be. Or, or, or maybe you, you know, you pull up your phone or your web browser and you see the news of the day. And I was just wondering, as we kind of get started as a family here, as we begin this journey together, I want to make incredibly clear to you what I think the headline of the church is. Because every morning, when you open the newspaper, 
above the fold. You say, what's above the fold? Well, it's above the fold of the newspaper. What is it that stands out that when the editor says, of all the stories, of all the things happening right now that is so important, what gets headline space? Top of page one. What is the big headline of today? If you and I were to take a step back in time, we would see headlines like atomic bomb dropped on Japan. I almost put some of these up here for you to see, but just sort of think with me what it must have been like to open your newspaper and to see that at the moment that World War II was in this frenzy and you see that headline. Or what about in 1963, the headline that wrote, President Kennedy shot. Headline news, front page. You're not going to bury that somewhere deep in the body of the newspaper because this is the big stuff. What about 9-11? Trade Towers hit. And I was thinking about what is it that we as a family, that we as Christ followers, what is the headline that when the world looks at us or even when we look at one another, what is the headline that you and I are communicating to a watching world? I had a buddy who was wanting to be a reporter back in college, and so he was going through taking some journalism classes and learning about this. And I remember a real interesting conversation where he began to sort of, you know, use some of his newfound uh, reporting lingo. It's always fun when you meet someone who's like just dabbling in something, but they think they know all the stuff, so they start using all the technical terms. And, and he's like, yeah, man, you know, I hate it when people bury the lead. And I'm like, what, bury the what? Bury the... And he goes, yeah, bury the lead. I said, well, what is that? He said, oh, burying the lead is where... The most important content is not here, but it's somewhere like in paragraph 20. And I was thinking, what is the headline that we don't want to bury as a church? And here it is. Are you ready? I'm going to give you two things. First one is this. If you want to jot this down on the back of your notes, everything, I pray that God will bless us through the years together. This is where it's all going to go, where it's all going to stay. This is everything. Are you ready? Our message is about Jesus Christ. That is the message. And here's the headline. Are you ready? I'm going to give you just three words. This is the one big headline. And, and, and I'm going to tell you right up front, this is the same message I taught back at Antioch on my last Sunday because I want them to know what I want you to know, that this is what everything as Christ followers revolves around. Are you ready? Three words. Here they are. Jesus changes everything. Headline news. You wake up in the morning. Jesus changes everything. This morning as you woke up and you took breath, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 through 17 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, that everything that is, is because of Christ. And if he wasn't there, we would like just, just dissipate. Jesus changes everything. Your marriage is the way it is. Perhaps today you look at the rough patches before because Jesus, though, has brought you through that. So Jesus changes everything. Some of us were absolutely shipwrecking our lives by our decisions, and then Jesus comes along. Jesus changes everything. In fact, let's just do this as a family. Would you say it with me on the count of three? These three words, by the way. This word is Jesus. Changes everything. Okay. Got it? Here we go. On the count of three, let's just say it together. One, two, three. Jesus changes everything. I heard one of you back there not really going up for it, full bore, so because of you, we're all going to say it again. You ready? One, two, three. Jesus changes everything. So if you want to know what we will teach every Sunday that the Lord allows me here at Clear Creek, it's that Jesus 
changes everything. And I want to show you that from a very familiar passage in John chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, we'll have it up on the screen. But I'm going to invite you to stand with me this morning as we read God's Word. Go ahead and let's stand in honor of God's Word. John 4, beginning in verse 4 through 26, it says this. Now, he, that would be Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's about noontime. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift, the gift of God, And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she said. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five Husbands, and the man you're now, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Now our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now, pay attention to this verse. Here we go. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Let's pray together. Lord, I would ask that as we come to this moment, that the same God who found this weary woman at the well as he offered her living water, may we receive the living water from Jesus Christ today through the words passed down and held onto. May we find life and find it abundantly in the good Savior and friend Jesus. We thank you and all those who agreed said, 
Amen. You may be seated. Now, this is what we might call an awkward situation. Have you ever been in an awkward situation? Maybe, you know, you came into a space, you weren't really sure how to handle it, what to do. Um, I've been in, and you're going to learn real fast, because I'm going to just be as honest as I know how. I don't think you benefit any from me pretending to be better than I am. So I'm just going to be real frank, real honest with you, and you're going to see who I am, hopefully very quickly. But there have been many times that I have gotten into an awkward situation, one of the most awkward situations. In fact, because of this situation, I never ask anymore, I just don't ask women, when are you due? <clears throat> have you ever had that awkward moment? You see a woman, and, and she's got that glow about her, and you're like, oh, when are you due? I remember the time. The last time I ever asked a woman that question, I was like, hey, when are you due? She was not glowing after I asked her the question, when are you due? Because she quickly explained, I'm not pregnant. It was awkward. There, there was not going to be any, dearest Joshua, we would love to have you over for Christmas dinner. Oh, no. She put a hit out on me after that one. So this is one of those awkward moments in the text because Jesus is where he's not supposed to be, talking to someone he's not supposed to be talking to. In fact, we get a sense of just how awkward it is by the way the disciples respond in the next few verses. They've just gone to get food. They come back. They see what's going on, and they don't say anything. Now, here's the deal. Since when were the disciples ever quiet about anything? These are the guys who had no unspoken thoughts. Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus, can you explain this? Jesus, how about this? How about this? How about this? It's like, moms, it is like that little kid in the back seat. Mommy, 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 mommy. And you're like, not really, but you think it, okay? And so they come back. Guys who always ask questions, don't ask a thing. In, in, In fact, there's some parts of the Bible that you really can't get unless you're a dude. You know what I'm talking about? So, like, this is one of those moments you know exactly what's going on. Have you ever had a friend, fellas, who you step into a situation and you see something's going on and he's just, I mean, he's really messing things up and you don't know how to deal with him. So what do all men do in an awkward situation? Don't address the mess. Instead, what do you talk about? Food. Let's go get something to eat. What do they say to Jesus in the next few verses? Uh, Jesus, you hungry? How about a sandwich? A steak? What do you want? Let's just go do something else because this is an awkward situation. Jesus, understand, is in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong kind of person. It starts, the whole encounter, verse 4. Jesus shows up and it says that he had to go through Samaria. Did he really have to go through Samaria? No. In fact, go ahead and put this slide up, if you will. Here's just a map I want you to see of Samaria You have Judea in the south, Galilee in the north, and you have Jacob's well right here, this little circle. Now, what would happen is most Jews, and if you grew up in a good, pious Jewish family, you knew you didn't go through Samaria because Samaria is the other side of the tracks. You catch me? Samaria is the place where those people live. There was this animosity between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the descendants of Jewish people who had intermarried with other pagan groups. And so then their children were not pure Hebrew. 
So a good Hebrew family, a good Hebrew person would always go around Samaria. In fact, there was so much hatred between these two groups that if you were a Hebrew and you wanted to insult another Hebrew, you'd just say, you're a Samaritan. I remember one of the first cut-down wars I was ever in. By the way, don't do this. It's just dumb. Don't do it. Just, it's not worth it. But the first, one of the first cut-down wars I was ever in was with my future brother-in-law. I was in fourth grade. He was in fifth grade. It was terrible. I think I called him like a bald eagle and all the other kids like, ooh. I mean, it's just, there's nothing scary about that. But this, you call someone a Samaritan, that was a major disrespectful thing, which is why we can get a sense of how bad the comment was that was made to Jesus in John eight forty eight when the religious leaders look at Jesus and say, you are demon-possessed and a Samaritan. They hated each other. In fact, the rabbis would say, if you have to go through Samaria, let's say like a bear's chasing you, you have no other choice, and you have to go into Samaria, before you come out, you are to take your clothes off, dust them off, take a bath, because you weren't even to carry the dust of Samaria with you. Now, there's a reason for this. Not only were they intermarried, but it was dangerous to go through Samaria. There are records of how the Jewish people who would go up through between Jerusalem and Galilee, and they may go through Samaria, there would be Samaritans who hated them so much that they would wait for them and they would rob them and sometimes even kill Hebrews who were passing by. It was a dangerous thing to go through Samaria. And yet Jesus says, I have to go through Samaria. No, you didn't, Jesus. You didn't have to go through Samaria. Don't you know you could go around this place? Understand, when he says he has to go through Samaria, he is not talking about a physical necessity. He is talking about his daddy's heart for all people. That if he does not go to Samaria, there was a woman at the well who would never hear the hope and the truth that God loves everyone. Understand that this morning, some of us are not at a physical well, but this is the place that Christ has come and wants you to know, no matter where you are, what you've done, where you've done it, Jesus loves You, can I get an amen from anyone? Because when Jesus shows up, he comes. It's a divine appointment to meet you, to say God's heart. He hates your sin, but he so much loves you that he will go anywhere. If you don't remember anything else, Jesus changes everything, and he will go anywhere to do it. He will go anywhere to find you. Not only is he in this bad place, though, he's talking to the wrong kind of person. Did you notice who Jesus is talking to here? A woman. (gasps) Now I know, in teenage years, you're like, dude, I'd love to talk to a lady. I get that, okay? But in Jesus' time in the East, it was inappropriate and uncouth for a man to talk with a woman without her husband present. It is still that way today in many countries. And so Jesus, he comes, he's tired, he sits by this well, and this woman comes and she sits down or she's preparing to get some water. And not only does Jesus come close, he then speaks to her. And not only was she just a Samaritan woman, you notice the kind of background she has. We get it in verse 15, excuse me, 16 through 18, where he says, call your husband. She goes, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, that's right, you don't. But you've been married five times before, and you're living with a man that is not your husband. 
Jesus comes to anyone, anywhere. Hear me now. Your past does not scare Jesus. It is because of your past that Christ came. It is because of my past that Jesus Christ came. It's because of what I have done and what you have done that Jesus Christ came. Jesus does not run away from her. He comes near to her. And not only that, he, he says, hey, what do you want to talk about? And they talk about everything, don't they? They talk about the things that you're not supposed to talk about in church they talk, or in the South. They talk about religion. Where do you worship? They talk about politics because their religion and politics were intermingled. They talk about marriage. They talk about the Messiah. They talk about bread. They talk about water. They talk about life. Jesus talks to her about everything she may want to talk about. Hear me now. This is the longest one-on-one conversation we have recorded in the Gospel of John. And it's not with a religious person. It's with a five-time divorcee who's living with a man. Jesus, hear me now, has time for you. He has time for your questions. By the way, one of the things I love is when people say, I don't understand or I don't agree with fill in the blank. Can we talk about it? The answer is always yes. I may not have an answer, but I will listen and we will engage. Because here's what I want you to know. God is not scared of your questions. Rather, he longs to answer and work with you through your questions so that you may know the truth of where life is found. And by the way, because Jesus changes everything, church, where is life found? found well three of you know the right answer in church let's try this again here's the hint jesus okay if you're never sure if you're just like unsure what the answer is in church it's either god or jesus it's like the third grade boy who's sitting in bible school on sunday the teacher gets up and says well what is brown has a big bushy tail climbs trees and eats nuts and he's like well you know sounds like a squirrel but we're in church so it's got to be jesus okay so Let's try this again. Where is life found, church? And so he wants to come near. He comes near not only to this woman, but he answers her questions. He listens. You need to know that God wants to answer your questions. And he comes into the places that are broken. In fact, think about this for a moment. Why was she at the well at noon? Well, because of her past. In the East, women, even to this day, if you go to various countries, you'll see early in the morning women or children going to the well or the place where they can get water and they will collect the water for the day and they will bring it back. Why do they go in the morning? Well, it's just much cooler. But she doesn't go in the morning. She goes at noon at the hottest time of the day. And most theologians agree it's because she she just couldn't handle all the stairs all the little snipey comments being made by the others who would have been there. She just couldn't handle one more. And it wasn't just because she was living with a man, it's because she had been divorced five times before, and so she just couldn't handle it anymore. Here's what you need to know. Some of us are so terrified of coming to church because we think everyone else will know what I've done. And we're scared that people will learn where we were, how we did it, and so we just, kinda, we just don't want anyone to know. And in fact, the one person we don't want to know more than anyone is Jesus Christ himself. That's why some of you this morning, you can't pull yourself to pray because you can't stand the thought of talking to God and engaging him because I don't want him to know, I've got news for you. He already knows. There's never been a moment in your life where you began to share with God what's going on that he went, wait, hold on, rewind the tape. What did you say? Not once. Every time you have ever talked to God, he goes, dear child, I know, I know, I know. 
And so he takes the time to interact with her. And do you notice as he answers the questions, she begins to understand who he is. She first says, you're a Jewish man in verse 9. Verse 19, no, you're not a Jewish man. You are a prophet. And then by verse 29, when she runs back to her village, leaving her water jar there at the well, she says, I think I may have found Messiah. That Jesus is already beginning to shape and change who she is. And it's because he knows all about her. And it's an amazing thing. Jesus is not surprised by what she did or any of those things. In fact, as she goes back, she says something that has always just been an incredible statement. She says, he told me everything I've ever done. And implied in that statement He knew everything I did, but he didn't run away like all the other men in my life. We have a Savior who stays. You understand, in the ancient world, in their culture, and even to this day, in almost every case, it's impossible for a woman to initiate divorce, meaning that this woman grew up as a little girl, most likely looking forward to the day she would be married, and yet when she was married, there was a man who married her, and he found something he didn't like about her, and he cast her off. And then the next man, I'll love you forever, he finds something that I don't like you. Next man, I'll love you forever, he casts her off five times, and yet Jesus says, I know everything about you, dear one, and I'm not going anywhere. That is your Savior. That is my Savior. And I know we sometimes like play hide and go seek with God. Like if we can't see him, he can't see us. But he knows everything about you and he's not scared by your past. Friend, he came for you and to fix your past. I was thinking about it earlier. It's like with my child, Emma. How many of you have kids who do things and they think you don't know what they've done, but you know what they've done? Anyone have a little mastermind who's not really a mastermind? Really? No one? Okay, me neither. Anyway, so this is hypothetically speaking. Our daughter Emma, when she was maybe two years old, she just like got the two big teeth in the front. You know, the the vampire teeth that start coming in at a little age. Um, She loves chocolate. She is my wife, but in just a much smaller package. She loves chocolate. And so I remember one day we'd sort of said, hey, we're not going to get into the chocolate. She'd had a little piece or something, I think maybe from church or something like that. And all of a sudden, as we're driving, she's sitting in her car seat. I mean, she's strapped in. This is the, you know, the, sort of the Houdini can't get out kind of seat. She's sitting there. But all of a sudden, we hear a sucking noise from the back seat. I look back, and my baby has just finished. Not open the little tinfoil-wrapped chocolate. She took her teeth and stabbed into it and was sucking it out like a vampire. And she had chocolate not just here, but like everywhere. I said, Emma. And she goes, hmm? I said, did you eat the chocolate? And your heavenly father looks at us and goes, dear child, did you do this? And we often just go, "Mm -mm." but he says, I know what you've done. I love you anyway. If you'll just come to me, I want to wipe you clean. I will give you living water. I will give you life. I will give you hope. If you will just come to me, little child, just would you let me cleanse you. It's not a surprise to me. Will you come to me? And then there's that beautiful phrase in verse 7. Did you notice he says, I want to give you a gift. 
I want to give you just this free gift. What is the difference between a gift and a wage? By the way, young men, there is a difference between a gift and a wage. A wage is what you get after you work. Now, okay, some of you young guys, let me explain. Work is where you get up and you go to a place, you do manual labor or thought labor, and someone pays you. If you want a woman, young men, listen, just a little piece of advice, go to work. No, not once, like every day, for a number of days in a row, get a paycheck, they love it, okay? So that's number one. But a wage is what you earn. How do you not get your wage? Don't work. What is a gift? It is freely given from someone to you. How do you not get a gift? Pride. Oh God, you... There's no way you could forgive me for this. Oh God, you don't know what I've done. But your daddy God comes near. He'll go anywhere. He'll spend as much time. He'll answer your questions. And he says, I know, I know, I know. Will you just accept what I'm offering?